If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that uh, we've, been, we've been having this conversation about growth, about the necessity of growth, and how really summer is a great time to kind of assess the spiritual growth in your life, and how growth is something that really happens on its own, whether we want it to or not, but the question is whether we are growing in the ways that we want to grow. That in order to grow in the things that we want to grow in, it takes great intentionality, that, that we have to be intentional about the environment that we place ourselves in, about the things that we feed ourselves, about the things that we, that we focus on. Because otherwise, we, we may end up and grow and look back and not like the growth that we've seen. But have you ever noticed that some seasons, it feels like there are some seasons where you want to grow and you are pursuing growth, but then there are other seasons that almost demand growth, that feel like they require growth just to even survive. There, there are some seasons where you choose, like, hey, I, I want to move into a season where I'm going to work out and get healthy and exercise because I want to look good for bathing suit season. And then there are other seasons where your doctor says to you, you need to work out and you need to exercise and you need to get healthy to survive. And there's something very different about a season where you want growth and you are pursuing growth and a season that kind of pulls growth out of you and demands growth in your life. I think over the last couple of years, we've all been through a season that has demanded growth for our lives as a society as we've faced a global health crisis, racial division, political division, an economy that's becoming increasingly difficult, if not uncertain. We're living in a time that it feels like it is requiring growth just for our own survival. And there are those seasons where it feels like growth is demanded, and there are those seasons where it feels like growth is a luxury. That, 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 that it's something that you, you can't really afford to focus on in this moment. And, and as we've had this conversation about growth, there's, there's been this one quality that I've continued to return to over and over and over that, that just feels like it's been highlighted as this is an area that we all need to grow in. And, and, and it's this idea that honestly feels like a luxury, it feels like I don't have time to focus on that. I, there are more important things for me to focus on. And it's this idea of growing in joy. And you may be like me where you think like, I, I don't really know if I need to prioritize growing in joy. There are really some other areas in my life that could afford the attention that I would spend on what seems to be just being happier. But I couldn't get away from this verse in Galatians as I was reading just a few weeks back where, if you're not familiar with the book of Galatians, it's written by a guy named Paul who he wrote letters to churches. He was a church leader, and so he wrote letters that would kind of correct or, or course correct different churches, give them insight and wisdom on which way they needed to go, things they needed to stay away from, things they needed to push into. And, and these letters dealt with, with very, very serious matters. These letters dealt with kind of church governance. They, they dealt with serious sin issues of drunkenness and sexual immorality and, 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 and lack of integrity and all of these big, high-priority items. And yet, in some of the opening words of the book of Galatians, Paul asked this question that, that just stood out to me so strongly. And he says, what has happened to all of your joy? 
What has happened to all of your joy? In the midst of dealing with all of these serious issues within the church as he's, as he's writing these letters, as he's admonishing, as he's encouraging, as he's guiding, he says, but, but what has happened to all of your joy? See, I think often we, we view joy as kind of this add-on area that if we have time, we'll get to it. If we have time, we'll grow in that area. But what Paul is saying right out of the gate at the beginning of the book of Galatians is, is that you can get all of these other areas right, but to truly represent Christ, to truly live the life that Christ would have for you, you have to have joy in any and every circumstance. And see, what's interesting is I think often when we think about joy, we think about it as kind of a standalone emotion, but the truth is that there is something we have to get to before we can even get to joy. And that's the idea of gratitude, that true joy is birthed in gratitude. But when we think about gratitude, I think we often think about certain seasons of our life. Like, if you think about gratitude, I often go straight to one of my favorite holidays, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. And around the time of year that Thanksgiving rolls around, you see gratitude on everything. You can buy napkins at the dollar store that say gratitude on them. You can buy expensive plates that say gratitude on them. It is like the season for gratitude. And it leads us into Christmas, which is kind of the season for joy. The only problem is it, it tends to happen in our lives is that, is that we make things in our life that should be constant seasonal. And we make things that should be seasonal constant. And so we view joy and we view gratitude as seasonal. We get around to those things when it's Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we view love as seasonal around the time of Valentine's Day. But, but our anxiety and our fear, it's okay if those things are constant. But we need to begin to flip the script in our minds and realize that it is the anxiety and it is the fear and it is the uncertainty that are seasonal and that our joy and our gratitude should be constant. And we're uber aware of gratitude when we're sitting around the table. In fact, my family, when we have dinner together at night, we kind of go around the table and we do like highs and lows, like things we loved about the day, things we didn't so much care for about the day, but then we always end by saying something we're grateful for. There's something about getting around a table with people that you love that reminds you to be grateful. And there's this moment in scripture that takes place around a table that, that really highlights the heart behind gratitude. And it, in the book of Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, and it says this, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so in this story, we, we begin to have kind of this comparison of, of two people encountering Jesus. And they're both in the presence of Jesus. They're both around the same table with Jesus, but they both have very different experiences with Jesus. And we have this religious leader named Simon. And, and Simon gets his name in the story. His name is Simon. We know who he is. And then we have this woman who is only described as this sinful woman. I don't know about you, but I would not prefer to go down in history as only being described by my worst characteristic, as only being remembered by the sinful life that I lived. Like, at least in this moment, we know Simon's name. At least we know who he is, not just what he's done. But it says that she was a sinful woman in this town. But see, Simon was a religious leader. He, he would have known the ropes. He should have known how to interact in the presence of God. He should have known how to deal with God. And yet, it, Jesus is in Simon's house. He's in his space. But if we could almost nuance the words a little bit, it's as if Simon invited Jesus into his house, but he didn't truly invite Simon into his home, into the most intimate places of his life. See, I, I think a lot of us want Jesus in our house, a lot of us want Jesus in our space. A lot of us want Jesus in our proximity in case we need him. We want him close by in case at some moment we need him, but we don't necessarily want to let him into the most intimate details of our lives. And Simon sits back and, and does not really welcome Jesus into his home. And then we have this woman, this sinful woman who, who wasn't even invited to this party, but she finds out that Jesus is there and she shows up anyway. And I don't think we always give the credit to this woman of how scary this must have been for her to show up in this place where she did not belong. Have you ever crashed a party by chance? Have you ever been somewhere that you did not belong? Have you ever been somewhere that, that you were not supposed to be? Uh, several years back when I was in, in high school, I lived in Montgomery, Alabama. And, and, and when I was growing up, around the time I was in like the 10th grade, there was kind of this national story that happened in Montgomery. And you may remember that this man named Chief Justice Roy Moore was elected to the Alabama Supreme Court. And, and on his first night in office, in, in the middle of the night, he had brought into the rotunda of the Alabama Capitol a, a granite carving of the Ten Commandments. And people showed up the next morning, and they saw this granite statue of the Ten Commandments, and some people were not pleased with this choice. Some people thought he did not have the right to bring this into a place of government, and it, it kind of sparked this national debate. And before we knew it, every news organization had descended on the capital of Montgomery. There were thousands of people on the steps every night rallying, either protesting for or against the Ten Commandments being in the rotunda of the capital. And it was this huge national event. And, and as a 10th grader in Montgomery, Alabama, this was all very exciting to me. 
And so at, at night, I would often go down and I would drive by the Capitol and I would just check out what was going on. And, and then I heard that they were doing a nationally televised rally to, to support the Ten Commandments in the Capitol Rotunda. And, and I really, really wanted to go and see. I loved the news cameras. I loved the excitement of it all. So I wanted to be there. The only problem was it, it was during school hours on a school day. But I thought, I don't really need to go to school. And so I got up, I went to school for a few hours, and then when it was about time for the event to start in between periods, I just kind of slipped out to my car. I just begun to start to drive. And so I, I got in my car and, and I drove downtown. I drove to the Capitol and it was packed. You couldn't park anywhere. I had to park super far away. I knew there was pretty much no way that I was going to get into this event. And, and there was just a giant crowd of people. And then when I finally found a parking spot, I'm walking up to the place. It's all barricaded off. They're not letting anybody else in. And I'm like, I skipped school for this. I'm going to be going to this. And so as I'm standing there, a, a police uh, motorcade pulls up with a, with a dark car, and they pull up, and they pull up on the street, and getting out of the car is a man by the name of James Dobson. If you grew up in the 90s, you know who he is. He was a big Christian figure, spoke into a lot of family organizations. He was the keynote speaker for this event, and so I see him get out of his car, and I'm like, well, I know he's going in, so I'll just go with him. So I walk up next to uh, James Dobson, and we're walking along. The, we're walking along like we're going to go into the thing. And this Capitol Police officer, he, sto he literally stops me, and he says, "Hey, you can't go in there." And with as much like 16-year-old angst as I could, I was like, "Hey, I'm with him." And he's like, "I'm so sorry." And we just keep walking. We're walking down the line. James Dobson's shaking hands. We're walking up the thing. I'm walking with his family. We're going. We're going. We're having a great time. We walk up, and then as we get up, I'm like going to veer off and go into the crowd. And a guy by the stage says, oh no, we have seats on the stage for the family. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool. So, so I go up and I'm sitting right behind him during his entire keynote speech. And this was a problem because what I didn't know was my parents also thought it was a good idea to come to the rally. And so they're in the audience, and all of a sudden they see, some, they see James Hobson come up on stage, and then they're like, is that, is, is that? And then I'm sitting with the family up on stage. And then, and then when it ended, I still don't know that they were there, and then when it ended, I go back to school, like I'm going to play it cool, and I'm going to be there for last period. What I also didn't know was that because this was such a great historical event in our state, my teacher had decided to take our class to the library to watch it. And so in some like twisted Ferris Bueller moment, my class was like, where is he and why, is, why did he get to go to the thing? And so I come back to school and I'm busted on all accounts. I don't think anybody knows that I was there and everybody knows that I was there. And the mistake that I made is that when you are in a place that you don't belong, you should never, ever identify yourself with the most important person there. Because you are always going to get found out. You got to lay low. You got to stay in the background. You cannot be identifying with the most important person there. And so for this sinful woman to show up in a place where she does not belong, when she is already known for her past, when she's already known for who she is, and not just to sit in the background, not just to find a place to observe, but to actually engage with the most important person there had to be a terrifying moment where she knew she was going to get found out. There was no 
way that anybody was going to miss her in this crowd. And, and Simon is upset with how things are unfolding because Jesus is in Simon's house. Simon had him as his guest. And have you ever taken a guest like to a party or to an event, but then they hit it off with someone else that's there? And then it's like, I, I kind of brought you and now I feel alone. Like, this isn't the greatest thing. And I feel like Simon in this moment is like, hey, this is my house. Why does this sinful woman get to have a moment with Jesus in my house? Why does this sinful woman get to have a moment with Jesus on my territory? And he's thinking these thoughts, but he's not voicing them. But it says Jesus answers his thoughts. And Jesus says, Simon, let me tell you a story. And this is an interesting thing that Jesus did often. Because when you're about to tell someone who is extremely prideful and does not see the significance of the moment that they are extremely prideful and do not see the significance of the moment, odds are is a, a prideful person is going to get very defensive. A prideful person is going to say, no, you're misreading me. You don't understand. That's not how it is. And so instead of actually telling Simon that he is prideful and that he is missing the moment, Jesus tells Simon a story. And then he reveals who he is in the story. And so in this moment, he tells Simon the story of these two people who both have these giant debts and are both forgiven, or one has a giant debt, one has a small debt. They are both forgiven. And, and who would be more grateful? Who would have more gratitude? And Simon says, well, the person who has the larger debt. And see, what Jesus is revealing in this moment is not that the sinful woman is more grateful because she's lived a more sinful life. See, we could, we could interpret this as though the way that Simon could have more gratitude, the way that Simon could have more appreciation for what Jesus is doing in his life is Simon could just go out and sin more. Simon could just go out and get into more debt, so to speak, and Simon could, could go out and sin more so that he can be forgiven of more, so that he can really experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. But see, what Jesus is saying is not that she's only having this moment of gratitude because she is more sinful, but because she recognizes her need. See, Simon and this woman were both as in, as in the same amount of need of what Jesus had. They both needed Jesus' love. They both needed his grace. They both needed his forgiveness. But one sat there as though he belonged around the table with Jesus, and one recognized their condition, that her place was at his feet. See, I think often those of us who, who, who don't think we need the love of Jesus can be the least grateful, have the least amount of gratitude. See, he, he says to Simon, he says, Simon, when I came into your house, you did not give me a kiss. You did not wash my feet. You did not pour oil on my head. And I know that if you walk into somebody's house, you would probably be grateful if they did not kiss you and pour oil on your feet, head and wash your feet. But what you have to realize is that these were common courtesies when you went into someone's house at this day and age. See, people walked around in sandals all the time, and so they had extremely dirty feet, and it was extremely hot, and oil was a way of bringing some sense of coolness, and a kiss was, was a customary greeting. So what Jesus is saying to Simon is, is, you didn't even give me the decency of the lowest level of hospitality when I came into your house, and this woman is lavishing all of those things on me when you did not. See, it's an amazing thing about gratitude is, is that 
they did this study years ago, and these social scientists did a large-scale study on gratitude, and they found some very interesting things. Maybe you've heard this is the same study that talks about how literally cognitively in your brain, anxiety and gratitude cannot coexist together. You can be one or the other, but you cannot be both at the same time. If you are grateful, you cannot also be anxious. But the most interesting thing about this study to me is that throughout the course of the study, they actually quit referring to gratitude as just gratitude. Because what they found is that it wasn't just the emotion of gratitude that brought change in people's lives. And so they literally changed the wording throughout the study to not say gratitude does X or gratitude does Y. They changed the wording to say practiced gratitude does X. Practiced gratitude does Y. Because see, gratitude is something that we have to actually put into practice. And what Jesus is saying to Simon is that even if you are grateful, I would have no way of knowing because you have done nothing to show your gratefulness. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. And basically what the Bible is saying is that that you could have faith, but if we don't see it worked out in your life, how could we even know? And it's almost as if faith and works are the same as gratitude and practice, that, that you cannot really know if someone is grateful unless they are practicing it, unless they are letting you know that they are expressing the anxiety and or the, the, the gratitude. And this is an area of, of my life that I can honestly say that I need to work on because I, I have a personality where often people are unsure whether I'm actually enjoying something or not. I have been told more than once that my face looks, quote, intense. <laughs> and more than once on Sunday mornings, right before service, I've had people come up to me and say, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm fine. Why? And they say, your face looks intense. A couple months ago, I was up at my grandparents' house in North Carolina, and I was sitting, and I was just thinking. Sometimes, you know, you sit and you think. And I was sitting, I was thinking about something, and I was kind of in a stare, and my grandmother came up to me, and she literally sang to me. She said, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. (laughs) And I was like, that is the sweetest burn ever. (laughs) Like, that is the kindest way to tell someone, you look angry. But there are some of us that if you are grateful, you might need to tell your face. If you are grateful, you might need to show somebody in your life. You might need to do something. Can I just tell you, as Christians often, we hide behind this phrase that I hate. We hide behind this phrase, you know my heart. How could I possibly know your heart? Usually when somebody says, you know my heart, what they're trying to say is I've just done something that I hope you don't know is in my heart. And so I hope you know what I want you to think is in my heart. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That there is actually an action that comes with the gratitude that is in your heart. That if you are not speaking your gratitude, if you are not expressing your gratitude, nobody has a way of knowing that you are actually grateful. And often as followers of Jesus, so often we are well aware of speaking the things that we are believing for, but not the things that we are grateful for. I could tell you all of the things that you are believing for, but I may never know what you are grateful for. And we have to become a people who speak what we are grateful for. That that gratitude has to be expressed. And there are a few ways that 
I, I just want to highlight that gratitude is expressed in this story. And the first one is this. Gratitude is expressed through worship. It's expressed through worship. See, we, we kind of started out talking about how gratitude will ultimately lead us to joy. And the Bible says that in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. But this idea that I have been kind of meditating on over the last little bit is this idea that, that I believe that there is joy in God's presence. But I believe that the true joy is not just in God's presence, it's in God's acknowledged presence. That, that we can be in God's presence and not acknowledge his presence and then therefore not receive the joy that comes from his presence. See, see, Simon and this sinful woman, they were both in the presence of Jesus. They were both sitting with Jesus. They were both dining with Jesus, but only one of them had an encounter with Jesus. Only the one who chose to worship at his feet actually had an encounter with Jesus. And I think the problem is that, that Simon felt like it should be an honor for Jesus to be in his house. And if we're not really careful, often we will treat God's presence the same way. Often we will show up into a room like this and our attitude is a little bit like, well, at least I made it. At least I'm here. At least I'm in the room. And listen, there is some merit to that. I'm so grateful for everyone who shows up. I'm so grateful for everyone who is here. But can I just invite you to take the next step of gratitude and not just be in the room, but be in the room and aware of what God is doing in the room. I think often when it comes to moments of worship, often many of us can approach moments of worship like Simon where we just sit at the table as though we belong, as though we should be right Right here, and we don't sit at his feet and realize that none of us are worthy of the presence of God, and yet he decides to be with us anyway. Yet he decides to be in our midst anyway. We have to acknowledge and be aware of the presence of God in our midst. Hey, Simon treated Jesus as though he should be the privileged one to be in his home, and I never want to be guilty of that when we gather together. I always want to remember that we are the ones who are privileged to be in the presence of Jesus. The second way that gratitude expresses itself is through humility. Through humility. See, Simon's posture was that of pride. Simon's posture was that of, this is my house and you should be glad to be here. This is my home I, I will determine how I treat you. See, what, what Jesus was ultimately telling Simon is that he was incapable of being grateful because he did not understand grace. If you do not understand the grace that Jesus has put on your life, then it will be impossible for you to be grateful. Because see, grace levels the playing field because we all need it. It doesn't matter if you're the sinful woman on the floor or the religious leader at the table. We all need the same thing from Jesus. We all need his grace. But if we do not acknowledge his grace, we cannot receive the benefits of gratitude. We cannot enter into true gratitude if we do not understand his grace. This woman humbled herself at Jesus' feet. She humbled herself 
approaching him. She humbled herself, washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. But Simon refused to acknowledge Jesus's presence in his home. He refused to humble himself, not realizing that Jesus had already humbled himself just being in the room. He refused to humble himself for Jesus, not realizing that the most humble person in the room was, in fact, Jesus. He treated Jesus as though his presence was just an add-on to the party he was having at his house, not the center of attention. I never want us to gather together and miss a moment to be humbly at Jesus' feet. I never want us to miss a moment where, where we can realize our need for the grace of God, where we can realize our need for his intervention in our life. See, so often people, people review or view religion or view God as a crutch or something for the weak people. But, but the truth is that a faith in God is for weak people, and we are all weak, We are all weak in need of his strength. See, the difference is not that we are weak, so we need God. The difference is that we are all weak and we acknowledge that we need God. The difference is that we know that we are in need. We know that we are not enough. Simon sat there as though what he had was enough, as though his relationship with God was enough. He did not need to humble himself and get down on the ground because just his presence was enough. But Mary understood that it was Jesus's presence that made the difference in the room. And then I'm going to ask the team to come up. Finally, gratitude is expressed in peace. Gratitude is expressed in peace. It says that Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think often we don't have the peace we seek because we're not grateful for the things that we have. That we're constantly striving and wanting the next thing, the, the next thing. We'll be grateful when we have this. We'll be, we'll be satisfied when we have that. And, and Jesus is saying, you can go in peace because you've acknowledged my presence. You can go in peace because of the gratitude that you have in your heart. See, so often we are seeking peace in things rather than being grateful for what we have and receiving the peace that God has for us. I think that as followers of Jesus, we should be marked by the joy that we have. We should be marked by joy that that is not seasonal. We should be marked by joy that is constant in our lives, but it is impossible to have that level of joy without embracing gratitude. Yeah, I think so often we fall into the trap of, as Jesus said, loving little. Simon loved little. And maybe you've known someone that, that loves little, Maybe you are someone that that loves little. And the truth in this moment is that, that Simon was giving all of the love that he had to give because he was only relying on the love that he had. His, his well was only full of the love that he had. He had not received the love of Jesus, and so he had little to give. He had not received the love of Jesus, and so he he had to hold on to everything that he had and withhold love from those around him. 
But see, what, what Mary understood was she had nothing to give in the first place. That the only thing she had to give was whatever Jesus could give to her. If you want to learn to love much, if you want to learn to embrace gratitude, if you want to learn to have joy, you have to realize that it all comes from the grace of God, that it all comes from the grace of Jesus, that ultimately we have nothing to give, nothing to bring without what he humbled himself and gave to us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?